Greetings, everybody. Welcome to Into the Pray. This is our teaching session through the book of 1 Corinthians, City of Temples. I'm just going to read um, our verses to, for us today. Last time we looked at verse 12 and 13, just a small, a small little section. Today I want to take us through verses 14 through to 27. So if you've got your Bible, please do join along with me. 14 through to 27 of 1 Corinthians. Lord, I, pr I pray now that you would cause this word to cut our hearts, to bring revelation and illumination, to change our lives, to give us hope, to, lay to help us understand what you're doing in your body at this time. Lord, we need you so much. Spirit of God, please help me now and please help us all. In Jesus' name. Amen. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. Many parts, yet one body. Verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those parts of the body that we think less honourable, we bestow the greater honour, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honour to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. I want to just begin by pointing out verse 25 here, because I've talked in recent months about the verse in chapter 11 of this book. 1 Corinthians 11:19, where Paul concedes that division is important to show those who are in right standing with God and those who are not. Whereas we know that the beginning of this book begins to address such divisions so that there wouldn't be divisions, divisions of immaturity, di divisions that come from godlessness, God, um, people that don't fear God, people that don't understand the kingdom. So look at verse 25, that there may be no division in the body. Paul is wanting there to be not no division. God doesn't want there to be division in the body, ultimately. And so it's important to keep that in mind as I go through this session today. And then quickly, just a couple of verses underneath that. Now you 
now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. If you look back to verse um, 14, so we've got the beginning of our session and then the end of our session and their bookends, Paul saying the same thing, that's what he does. For the, verse 14, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. That's what the body is. That's what a body looks like. That's what it should look like. And again, verse 27, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So we have two bookends. We have Paul stating what the body is and then explaining it with nuance and detail and metaphor. And then at the end, he repeats what he said in verse 14. So in the middle here, we have this, what I think is a parable. A parable, the Greek word parabol, or P-R-A-B-O-L-E, it sounds similar to our word parable, but it, as you would expect, it, it's spelt differently. There's, it, and that word means, the Greek meaning is that something is laid alongside something else. It's like a visual aid, so something that points to something else. In the New Testament, we know we have about 30 Jesus taught to fulfill scripture. <laughs> That's on a whole nother level, but he Jesus used deliberately used parables um, to point to the kingdom, to explain the kingdom, to say the kingdom is like. That, that, that. Um, so I want to just read you a quick parable, which I'm hoping will be helpful. A gymna- the kingdom of heaven is like a gymnasium full of people carrying multiple injuries, fatigued by bodily pain and discouragement of mental frustration. So a gymnasium full of people, but who aren't very well, who are carrying injuries physically, fatigued, mentally fatigued by that kind of discouragement. Limping, limping through a series of exercises with with low energy, without the joy of unhindered movement. If you think about what a simple joy it is to walk with no pain, I'm not meaning competing or performing, simply walking through a forest, simply walking by a beach. At one machine... A physiotherapist stands understanding their pains, explaining their problems. At another machine, a dietitian identifies the exact causes of their disease. By another machine, a counsellor sits in a comfy chair offering words of deep comfort. So in this parable, we have a gym with people who are in sickness, fatigued, trying to work out and exercise, but they're hindered. They're carrying injuries and disease. And yet you have, within the gym, you have these physios and you have these dietitians and you have these counsellors who are there to help the people get well. The exercisers now comforted, strengthened and trained in different ways to help others also carrying injuries, the environment of the gym begins to increase in energy, enthusiasm, growth, and joy. So the exercisers who have now been helped, who've been trained, who've been comforted, go on to do the same. And so the culture, it's like the East, okay? Jesus, I mean, leaven is used in a negative sense in some parts of scripture, but in the parables, it's used as in a positive. This is what the this is what the kingdom of light. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm not sure if that some people believe that would then mean dominionism and 
post-millennialism and so on and the golden age to come. I'm not, <laughs> that's not what we believe. But nevertheless, there is this parable, okay? So we're, we're thinking about, and this scene is personal. To, like the, the, This is current. Um, I was in the gym this week feeling like this and <laughs> um, physically struggling in the gym. I'll come to that in a minute. Um, but let's look at the scriptures, all right, because I want to point out two, two, I've mentioned the two bookends of verse 14 and verse 27, but I want to also mention um, God is forensically over all of this in the body, the sickness of the body, the suffering of the body. God is over all of that, isn't he? And we know that because he gives gifts in a certain way and he has designed his body, created his body in a certain way. Let's look at two verses that parallel, sit in parallel to show that. Um, you'll remember from a couple of weeks ago, verse. just have a quick look at verse 11. All these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually, those three words, as he wills. Jump over to verse 18 in our passage today. Look what it says here. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So in verse 11, as he wills, verse 18, as he chose. God is sovereignly, despite the sickness, the dysfunction, the disease, the depression, the anxiety, the the struggling nature of the body, he is sovereignly over all, giving gifts, I believe presently and continuously giving gifts, and he's also very, very capable. That's the understatement of the day, isn't it? He is infinitely, effortlessly able to sort out the problem within the body. And that should be a deep encouragement to us. Um, so so God, is, God is over all of this. But I, wa I wanted to try and relate this just, just made up parable today to give you to give you a little sense of where I want to go with this as regards to the church the body of Christ the community the Christian communities that I believe um, will have to happen before Jesus comes back this radical sense in which our understanding of the church of the body of Christ the passage that we would have probably read hundreds of times that we're looking at today that's why I prayed you know Lord help us to understand what it is you're doing um so I've mentioned verse 14 and verse 27 is his conclusion. And within, within this today, I think the big thing to take away is that we need each other, we differ from each other, and we should care for one another. We need each other, we need our differences we're individually, and we should be caring for each other. That's really what Paul's going after here. But I think, I think there's more nuance, and that's what I'm going to try and help us look at now. Looking at... Um, I want to just mention a couple of overall thoughts. Okay, so if you look in, again, just looking back at the scripture, if you look at verses 14 through to uh, 20, you've got this phrase, um, because in verse 14, because I am not a hand, I do, I do not belong to, I don't belong to the body. And it's this sense of inferiority. Okay, skip down to verse 21. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. So in, on the one hand, excuse the pun, you have um, 
a sense of infer- inferiority because I am not a hand. I, I do not belong to the body, this thing of not knowing where to fit, so on. And then you have the superiority, this elitist type of, I have no need of you because, you know, you might be less honorable. You might not be as, you might not be the mouth or you might not be, you know, you might be the less presentable, the the, the parts of the body with less honor, that kind of thing. So you have these two things. And I think, I think broadly speaking, that's what's going on in this passage. To take the first one, the inferiority, how many people can relate to that, not quite knowing where to fit in? Where do you belong? You know, this this whole thing of round pegs in square holes and often church leaders being the kind of archetypes of that, you know, talk about being a round peg in a, in a square hole. Often church leaders, all singing, all dancing, pastors who are supposed to be doing everything, even if they're not called or gifted to be leaders or whatever. You know, it's a round peg trying to be in multiple square holes. This is the disaster. So we have... We have the result of that being this sense of inferiority, not knowing where we work, where we're complementing the whole body, where God has made us to be, where God has called us to be, that kind of thing. So you have this inferiority, which is the language of dislocation. That's what I'm saying. It's language of dislocation, dislocation. Similarly, the superior attitude, which again goes on all the time, and I think propagates, supports this false leadership in the church which is the, the the pastor is supposed to be you know doing it all you know it's it's it creates this environment within the church at large which is that um of superior superiority it's quite hard to say that superiority um i have no need of you the eye can't say to the hand i've got no need of you i mean how ridiculous There's more to be said in all of these things, and I'm trying to keep this concise, but there's inferiority and superiority, and they're both they're both languages of dislocation. Um, Pryor puts it like this, okay? We differ from one another, so whether a hand or an eye or a nose or an ear, we or a foot or a beard or hair or grey hair, you know, I, there's lots of nuance here. We differ from one another uniquely, infinitely, I think. Sorry, I'm in, I'm embellishing Pryor's quote. I'll calm down. We differ from one another because God wants those differences to be molded into a special unity, which is demonstrably his own doing. We differ from one another because God wants those differences to be molded into a special unity, which is demonstrably his own doing. Demonstrably his own doing. In other words, people in the early church who weren't Christians, didn't believe in God, didn't believe in Yahweh or Jesus the Messiah, came into the company of God's people. And what did they say? Surely God is among you, is what they said, because, well, because there was a special unity, which was demonstrably God's own doing. And I fear that what happens within as we read this and as we think of the church and each of our individual parts, roles, and so on within that is that there is this dislocation, this problem with dislocation. Um, and it seems clear to me as I read this that it is one of a dislocation of an inferiority, people not knowing where to be, not, showing if, not sure if they belong. Um, this kind of picture of exile or sojourn um, and that could be woe is me, 
or it could be I don't really believe in what the Bible teaches about the church, the body of Christ, or it could be this kind of abusive spiritual leadership. Again, these faulty systems where you might be a lawyer and then you think, okay, well, I want to work in a church. So I'm going to go along to a college, Bible college for three years. I'm going to come out and then I'm going to be a vicar and I'm going to lead a church. Well, it doesn't work like that. This book of 1 Corinthians is getting us to face our inability to see and understand the kingdom of heaven, hence these parables, you know, that the foolishness of, um, that the wisdom of God was foolishness to the people of Corinth and that their supposed wisdom was just folly. The first will be last and the last will be first. The kingdom is constantly re-educating us, so it should be by the spirit, constantly re-educating us. doesn't matter how old we are, how long we've been saved. And so Prior is getting at here this this demonstrable special unity um, that comes when there is a, a complementary, a complementary um, right place of each individual gift, the gifts of the spirit that he gives to empower his people as we've looked at, but also then the, this kind of the result of that. And I think that's what happens is the gifts pave the way for the right place. And there's this dislocation, I think, the dislocation of inferiority, superiority, spiritual abuse, uh, faulty leadership structures, people operating in spaces that they're not called to or gifted to and so on. And it leaves the body like that parable that I mentioned in the gym where people are struggling to exercise and feel wretched in their bodies because they're injured in multiple places and can't move freely and so on and so forth. I found this book this week. This is an old textbook. Um, of mine from being at university. This is one of my physiology books. Hopefully you can see this. Okay, this, my book, Body Zero. Okay, Body Zero as a title came from what's called a term, a physiological term called anatomical zero. And this is the best picture I can find. So I'm sorry, it's not very clear. It would be better if it was the other way around. But this is anatomical zero. So you've got um, a human facing forward, obviously naked, and you can see constituent parts, musculature, organs, skeletal system and so on and the palms are the palms are faced forward like you can see here okay this is why the front of my book has a hand a zoomed in view of this basically now this this is the um this is the picture this is the harmonious sense of a body in in good perfect shape a human body can be very beautiful can't it physiologically, aesthetically pleasing, can also be very ugly when you see somebody morbidly obese or emaciated through um, disease and so on and so forth. But here you have this sense in which this is where the this is the way that God has ordered things. So again, thinking about verse verse um, eleven and verse eighteen, as he wills and just as he chose. So for example, two ears, one nose. Two eyes, one mouth, two arms, two legs. You know, God has made us in a certain way for a certain reason. Um, but what happens at the level of dislocation? This is what I'm trying to talk about in terms of, um, let me just show you this, dislocation of a joint. What happens? We were The reason I'm mentioning this to you is because 
we were on a, we were watching something recently where we saw a young girl and an ambulance had been called because she'd caught her leg behind the seat on the bus that she was sitting on. She dislocated her knee. I dislocated my shoulder when I was playing football years back, and it's an incredibly painful thing. Dislocation is where a joint is moved beyond its normal range of movement, and part of the joint dislocates. One bone comes out of a normal articulation against another. So in my case, part of my the top of my arm had come out of the joint of my shoulder. This girl had dislocated her knee, so one of her leg, her lower leg and her upper leg uh, bones were dislocated, and she was in agony, as you would be. She couldn't, she couldn't, she couldn't get it back in. It was dislocated. It was out, and the paramedics came and gave her lots of pain relief and so on. But they couldn't get her off that bus until her knee had 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 gone back in to join. And gosh, you know that's a horrible thing. And she just had to force it back in and she was in distress and she was crying. It's like, I don't know what to do. And it, it's a horrible, horrible thing, dislocation. Horrible, horrible thing. And eventually she had lots of pain relief and she was able to get it back in, into position. Now what happens is on a physiological level, when this kind of thing happens, let me just show you this. This is maybe a little bit clearer. Um, Hopefully you can see that. Okay, let's just make sure that focus is okay. Here's a joint, okay, an arm, there's an elbow, and you've got muscles and so on and so forth. Now, the difference, the point I want to make about what happens with dislocation is that tendons connect muscles to bones. They're elastic. They need to be elastic in God's design as he chose, as he wills, etc., etc. They need to, tendons need to be elastic. Bone to bone, bones are connected to bones by ligaments, and they can't be elastic because converse to ligament uh, tendons if if all of our joints were just made of elastic tendons we wouldn't walk anywhere at all we wouldn't be able to stand up so when a joint is forced beyond its normal range of movement what's happening is that the ligaments here are being stretched beyond where they should be which often means great pain and often then laxity in joints because once a ligament's been stretched it often doesn't return to its original thing, which is why people often have repeated dislocations and, and need surgery and so on and so forth. Now, I'm just going into all of this to, to give you a, a kind of glimpse of the body. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's not random. None of this is random. Um, so when we read here in this passage about the either the inferiority, I'm, because I'm not a hand, I, I do not belong to the body or... In, at the opposite end of the spectrum, I have no need of you. We are in this pain of dislocation generally as a whole. Look down to verse 25, where Paul has said that there may be no division in the body. That's what he's going after. But in verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. But So in other words, if one member of the church, if one member of the body is suffering, there is a profound sense that everybody suffers. It's worth thinking about the that sense in which we are all currently feeling the, the suffering of being in a body that's not very well. I was in the gym this week and I felt like this. I had a couple of injuries, two or three different parts of my body were painful. I'm normally in the gym as a matter of course, and it was just a drag. Just my energy was low. Mentally, I felt very fatigued, you know, moving around, doing the weights, doing the different, you know, and interacting with guys in the gym. I'm going to tell you a little anecdote in a minute, which is very powerful, about one of those um, conversations. It's a great place to be, to share the gospel, actually. But when you're in a body that isn't functioning well, you know, we suffer. It's a suffering. 
And if we become myopic and don't understand that we, we sh- God wants us to think about not only our own bodies, our own congregations, our own, you know, communities, but also the, the, the body as a whole, we're, we're not... We're not thinking correctly. Um, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honoured, all rejoice together. This is the language of Romans 12. Read Romans 12 in your own time um, to help understand this more because it gives gives more detail in that chapter, actually. Um, When one is dislocated, all are dislocated. That, that I think, makes most sense to me. You can't have, if you imagine in the natural, a dislocated knee or a dislocated shoulder, the rest of the body doesn't just carry on perfectly fine because it's not dislocated. You know, like if you've got a dislocated knee, you don't think, well, that's okay, I don't have a dislocated shoulder. No, the whole body feels dislocated. And that's what Paul's saying here. That's how I think we should think about the church. The church is supposed to be like this. as a picture of aesthetic, biomechanical, physiological, biological, precision, perfection. And in that sense, that will happen. That will happen. God is redeeming his people. A bride will be prepared. And um, we can't dodge, sidestep, or ignore this issue of one part of the body suffering, therefore the whole body suffers. I think we should all have an awareness at this point in history of the suffering, dislocated nature of the of the body as we are at the moment in world history. There is such a thing as church history, and we are in, I think, a very important point in coming to terms, coming face to face, again, excuse the pun, with our dislocated state. But Paul seems to be quite clear here. He's going after inferiority and superiority and attitudes both of those attitudes are terrible and essentially are the forces that cause dislocation and also i think that the symptoms the swelling and the pain uh the symptoms of the dislocation so we need each other we differ from each other we should care for one another before I come to the caring for one another, this there's a difference here between individuality and individualism. Individuality is the celebration, the God-given celebration of our in, of our unique contribution, our unique characters, personalities, callings, the gifts that He gives. That's individuality. Individualism is this attitude which is essentially, well, I'm going to create Jesus in my own image. I'm going to worship Him. If I'm not comfortable with something, I'll just say, well, does scripture really say? Or um, I'm a woman and I actually really think I want to lead the church. And if that means I have to lead lead men despite what the Bible teaches, then so be it. Individualism. It's the spirit of the age. It's the spirit of the hour, isn't it? Um, Closely related to entitlement and pride and idolatry and all these different things. So individuality is a beautiful thing that we need. Like... A bicep doing the job of a bicep, not a quadricep. You know, you don't walk around on your arms. You don't try and write with your feet. You know, individuality, not individualism, which is taking yourself off and being unteachable and not part of a whole and not desiring fellowship, not desiring community. And maybe I'll just touch on on community to finish today. 
um, thinking about these one these round pegs and square holes and so on and so forth. You know, prior prior talks as well about this thing of uh, the tendency of the church to amputate. You know, that's really what's going on in verse fourteen, where the body doesn't consist of one. It says, um, "I'm not a hand. I do not belong to the, that whole thing of I don't belong to the body." Um, which is why Hebrews ten twenty five doesn't mean to say if you don't go to a church building you're not you know you're you're cutting yourself off. No, you're not. You can't if you're in a body you can't cut yourself off. Um, but the, there's this there's this notion where and Paul deals with this now in in more nuance about the parts that are more honourable or dishonourable, more presentable and weaker and stronger and so on. And I'd be here for an hour or more talking about all of these in detail if I did that. But I want to make this point that we need to resist that temptation of not understanding the difference between, again, it's this difference between healthy division and, and unhealthy division. Um, there is a need to be aware of weeds and wheat. That's one of the parables that Jesus um, taught in Matthew 13. You know, the weeds and the were growing alongside the wheat, and yet Jesus counseled to the disciples who wanted to rip them up was that there would come a time when he would send an angel at the end of the age, the culmination of the ages that's come upon us, said Paul in 1 Corinthians somewhere or 2 Corinthians. Um, what I'm trying to say is that the, divi- the, div- the types of um, gifting that we see in the Holy Spirit here and then the way that the body's pictured in terms of physiological members, um, we shouldn't be... We should be able to recognize those things that God wants to cut out and amputate on one level at this point in history. But but on the other hand, we don't want to be cutting off things that we shouldn't be. There's a there's a fine line of balance here, which is why I'm struggling to, struggling a little bit to explain what I mean. Um, we need to be conscious of the wrong type of amputation and we need to be conscious that we're not so afraid of division that we're not willing to come out. And somewhere within that, there is a healing body, a sanctifying, redeemed body. Um, I was in the gym this week. Let me just finish with this because I don't want to. I don't want to confuse anybody, and I hope I'm not. Um, I'm just thinking here of our more presentable parts. The, the if you look at the if you just look at the text again in verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker. So there's those parts of the body that seem to be weaker. Um, and then in verse 23, those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, where we bestow honor, thinking of the language of James, where somebody comes in among you as a poor man and you give him less favor than the rich man. You know, it's just this this human tendency. Again, the topsy-turvy difference between the world and the kingdom. We tend to just get things like that wrong and it exposes our hearts. Um, this language of being more presentable, more honourable, was was something very much in my mind this week as I was in the gym. I mentioned that I was in the gym this week, feeling a bit wretched in my body, just struggling. And out of nowhere, I've been in the gym, the gym that I'm in, I've been in for about seven years. And it's a really great place to, to just know guys, meet guys, talk to guys, be a light, that kind of thing. And one of the young guys under 30 came up to me this week and he just, he just told me out of the blue, um, he's had testicular cancer. I mean, 
I'd re- I'd recorded something for this before, and I felt I needed to just redo this so that the reason I mentioned this is because thinking about I mean, I asked the kind of nakedness and thinking of genitals and you know when when Paul is talking here about um, our unpresentable parts. I think that's what he's meaning. I think he's meaning this whole thing of nakedness and how far we've fallen from the garden where we were once able to stand in nakedness and feel no shame, whereas now. You know, and so for for this guy to mention that to me was like, it was a real privilege. I had a real great conversation with pray pray for him. I won't tell you his name, obviously, but it made me think of the way that the Christian world, the Christian community, should be in a non-dislocated sense, in a redeemed. You know, again in verse twenty-five, that there may be no division. I think it's okay to think about no dislocation there. Thinking about the way that the church is going to be prepared for the one to come. For the, you know, when you think of Matthew 25, and I relate that sense of anticipation and faithful waiting and oil in our lamps burning, I, I relate that with no dislocation, no division, agreement with everybody agreeing with who God says God is. You know. Um, and I, I think, I think of the end of the age, and I think of the way that the church is good to think about the way that the church is, is kind of moving into something more like this. This is a picture I think of Matthew twenty-five, a body perfectly designed, perfectly proportioned, gifted, and it's not just limbs. If you read the Amplified, it's all the organs as well, all the different position of nerves and sinews, and the body is a fearful and wonderfully made reality and that is a picture for me of the end of the age that posture of waiting and um as you imagine therefore what the community the christian community is going to be like moving forward and again this is what we're going to be talking about in the podcast into the pray on our wednesday sessions before christmas what kind of church are you part of what kind of congregation what kind of christian community are you part of and just this week we watched the film Paul, Apostle of Christ, and I've written a blog about that. If you want to read it, you can go ahead and, and do that. I'm not commending it fully. There were concerns about it, and I've written that so you can read that if you're interested. But it was helpful on the level of helping us to imagine the kind of community, what the church will be like under the, you know, under the pressure of persecution. You know, and it pictured the church in Rome under Nero in in hiddenness, being hunted and at risk of lives and so on and so forth. Now what will the church be like before Jesus comes? Well, there'll be persecution, there'll be martyrdom, we know that. And being a Christian then is going to mean something very different now. And this is the time we're afforded to begin to conceive prayerfully by the Holy Spirit what changes are going to be required moving forward, which is why it's important to ask yourself the question, what church are you part of now? What co- what community, what congregation are you part of? Are you making excuses? Are you turning a blind eye, sweeping under a rug, things that are actually not okay. I'm not going to get distracted here by talking more generally about the principle of remaining within something in order to have a positive effect as opposed to coming out from that. Um, But I want us to think just about the general principle of a body that's not divided, not dislocated, without the inferiority issues, without the superiority issues. Um where the culture is much more Romans 12. And when you think of this, again, think of it relating to 
um, and read my book if it's helpful. If this isn't making sense, please. I've written a book about it. Just just drop us a line if money's an issue, and we'll give one to you. But what will the what will this church? What does this represent in the sense of the church moving forward into um, the decades ahead or the years ahead? If we don't have decades, well, I think it's Romans twelve. It's outdoing, showing honor to one another. I think it's loving each other uh, in a way that we don't really currently understand. I think it's Again, it's this verse. Let's just look at the verse again. Um, verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer. That's the negative sense. Is that real? By the Holy Spirit? And it, only, it can only be by the Holy Spirit. If you know people who are suffering, do you pray for them like you pray for yourselves when your own body hurts, when you're, un when you're unwell yourself? Or do you just hear about news of people being unwell and kind of you know, it just kind of glosses over, you know, you might pray for them a couple of days, but you don't take them. To, it's not this. There's, there's no taking of heart. There's no appropriation of this, of this miracle that Paul's describing here. When one suffers, all suffer. When one part is dislocated, what the whole body's dislocated. And positively, if one member is honored, then all rejoice together. And I think as you read this, and I'll just finish with this, that, um, you know, you've got the word of God here and you've got this textbook showing a, a kind of metaphor of what Paul's describing. There is a transcendent reality here. Um, but the but the presentable parts of the body is what I was left thinking about, the, the unpresentable part, sorry, when this guy told me about his recent testicular cancer. And it made me think, if a young guy who barely knows me and who I barely know can tell me that in a gym, what should the church be like? What should the body in this posture of anatomical, what I call body zero, be like in terms of a community where the type of fruit, the type of relationships, friendships, honouring, suffering together as one suffers, we all suffer, as one is honoured, we all rejoice. What would that look like in the church when that is truly, and I think that's why persecution will, will be the only route via which that happens, where that level of intimate, and it was it was an amazing thing, you know, telling me just just out of the blue, and I really, I really felt that was why I needed to stop and redo this one to tell you about that as a, as a picture of this antidote to, to the dislocated sense in which the church is, is suffering at the moment through the lack of gifts, through wrong understanding of church leadership, through a wrong understanding of what the ecclesia is, an unwillingness to be bold and counterculture, for example. This is the most pressing reality in the church, I believe, at the moment, which is that an understanding is that we should be um, forming a countercultural community, much like we see in this film, Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Christ. And so, um, when I when I think of that young guy telling me that, I think, thank you, Lord, for a, for a picture of the type of intimacy, the type of um, topsy-turvy reality where our most unpresentable parts are honoured. Heavenly Father, we understand so little. And I pray, Lord, that where you have liberally, as the sower, 
where you've sown seeds this morning, I pray that by the by the Spirit of God, in the name of Jesus, you'd prevent every bird from coming down and eating, devouring the seeds that you've sown. I pray instead, Lord, that you would till the hearts of us all, myself included, to receive the seed that you sow and that there would be a hundredfold kingdom fruitfulness in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.